Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. I am very excited to tell you during today's episode about a resource that I have just launched So get ready to hear all about that. If you are on the list for the weekly e-newsletter, you saw this in what got sent out July 14th. And if you're not on the list for the weekly e-newsletter, head to the show website, nhte.net, and pop in your email address so that you start receiving that. Joining me today on location in Nashville at the Summer NAMM Show, my guest has been called the preeminent authority on the guitar. He is an experienced artist, retailer, gallerist, curator, distributor, manufacturer, consultant, and public speaker. Last year, in the midst of the pandemic, he curated a boutique guitar showcase touring 15 cities in eight countries. Among the many hats he wears, he is also a consultant to NAM, the largest musical instrument trade organization in the world. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Jamie Gale. Thanks for having me. From the category of this is not your first rodeo, how many years do you go back with NAM? When and how did you get started with them? Understanding, of course, that I'm sure you attended your first NAM show before you became a consultant to them. That's right. So I attended my first NAM show 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, and I've been a consultant with NAM since 2016. 2016. And 20 years ago, you attended your first one? Yeah. So presumably the winter NAM show. It was, but I came to the summer NAM show a, a few months afterwards. Yeah. And what have you seen change over the years as you've kind of watched the NAM show evolve and obviously the guitar industry? Sure. I, I mean, there's, there's that's a lot. That's a big subject. <laughs> um, particularly as a, within my part of the industry is I've been growing up with the boutique guitar industry specifically. My, my work started with European guitar makers and bringing them to North America. So I was a retailer, and it was, uh, needed to be competitive. I needed to have things that no one else had, and that brought me to the NAMM show, looking for guitar makers. I found some very interesting guitar makers at the first NAMM show who were European, and so I went to the Music Mesa in Europe after that, and I started traveling to places where other people weren't going and working wow. with European guitar makers, and then high-end American guitar makers and Canadian guitar makers also. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm forgetting that I'm supposed to be asking you follow-up questions because I'm so caught up and yeah. it's fascinating and, to and hear the that. the boutique guitar industry was very, very small a few years ago, um, or back, back then, 20 years ago, uh, but it's been growing and growing and growing. Would you say it's been a gradual growth, or could you point to one something where you would say this really kind of launched the boutique guitar industry into the public conscience? I mean, it's been a gradual growth for sure. Okay. Um, you know, someone like uh, Steve Klein, one of the forefathers of avant-garde design, came to his first, he'd been to the NAMM show many, many times, but in the first boutique guitar showcase, which I created for the NAMM show with my consultation with them, Steve was on the main aisle of the NAMM show for the very first time for his 50th anniversary of making guitars. Wow. So, you know, wow. if you're talking to the right people, this stuff starts a long way back. But when it became part of the public consciousness, you know, is probably more about 20 years ago. And then a major tipping point, frankly, was NAM asking the question of how can we better meet, 
meet the needs of these small artisanal mm. guitar makers with our consultancy in creating the boutique guitar showcase at the NAMM show because now it has become a, a very key part of the winter NAMM show and the summer NAMM show that bring people, including people from all the biggest companies, you know, from the companies that we all know growing up, they all come to the Boutique Guitar Showcase. Chris Martin comes to the Boutique Guitar Showcase. Paul Reed Smith comes to the Boutique Guitar Showcase. You know, to see what these people are doing that's interesting and new and forward thinking, so. I actually drove here to Nashville this time, which allowed me to do lots of podcast listening, of course, and not only do people oftentimes mention sports and entertainment in the same breath, but I am a huge sports nut. So there was a podcast that I listened to as I was driving here that was really fascinating. Understand that Obscure Ball is not your typical sports podcast. There are no hot takes or arguing or anything like that. Instead, each episode looks at a different event or figure in sports history that's obscure, hence the name Obscure Ball. From the mysterious death of Big Ed De La Hante to a missing plane carrying Soviet hockey players, Stuart Barefoot explores the strange, the zany, the mysterious, and sometimes the criminal elements from the world of sports. The latest episode, Bring in the Clowns, chronicles the history of the Indianapolis Clowns, arguably the most misunderstood team in baseball history. That episode, along with all previous episodes, are available on your podcast app of choice. The podcast title, again, is Obscure Ball, all one word. Listen, learn, and be entertained. Jamie, you set me up nicely. For the listeners out there who are not entrenched the way that you are, the way that a lot of the musicians are who hopefully are listening also. Share with the audience about the Boutique Guitar Showcase just in a general sense as it relates to the Summer NAM show here where we are, and then I'm going to follow up after you describe that. I'm going to have you talk about a few specific guitars that are extremely unique, but just explain what the Boutique Guitar Showcase is. Yeah, so the Boutique Guitar Showcase is a collection of what I call unique world-class instruments that are contributing to the conversation of the guitar. So, we're looking for people who are doing things in a unique way, people who are inventive and creating things. Sometimes it's just a, a spin on a familiar guitar. You know, it wouldn't be unlike Joe Cocker's version of A Little Help From My Friends. You know, mm -hmm. I think his version was just as important as the Beatles' version of that song was, and is just as valid. And so sometimes the guitar can simply be a cover version of a familiar guitar, but so much so that you realize, oh, that's, that's now its own entity. I like that description. Very good. And, and it's a good, I like the comparison too. Explain for the audience what your role is with the Boutique Guitar Showcase. Right. So uh, I developed the concept for NAM in the first place, uh, and, and I act as the curator. So meaning that I select the guitar makers, I invite them to be a part of the show, I decide how the flow is, the display, how things are shown, I work with the guitar makers about what they're going to bring, because to curate in its proper sense is to care for. So I mean, you, you care for the items, but you also care for the space, you care for the experience, and that's all sort of So then how difficult is it to have to be, it sounds like you're the person that a boutique guitar maker would come to and say... I want to be part of this boutique guitar showcase, and not only do you have to give that word that everybody is way too familiar with in the entertainment business, which is no, yeah. but you have to do it in a way that isn't telling someone 
eh, your guitar is just really not that special to be part of this showcase. How do you how do you manage those conversations? Because I'm sure you're getting approached by people that say, I'd love to be part of this showcase. Let me tell you what I'm doing with my model. Yeah, I've probably had a dozen of them this morning. Wow. Um, and and that's that's okay. I love that. You know, I love the idea of you know being uh, an inspiration. You know, it's not it's not my work. It's the other. I didn't inspire them. It's the guitar makers that are in there that inspired them. Um, but I love that sort of turning people on to something and, and having them ex- uh, inspired and excited. Um, but, you know, what I like to try and explain is that we're really shining a spotlight on things worthy of a conversation. There's no duplication in the Boutique Guitar Showcase because then we're just talking about the same conversation, right? Uh, and so it's actually intended to raise awareness of Boutique Guitar makers globally. So the ones that are there that we're shining the spotlight on for the conversation are meant to benefit all of the guitar makers by making people aware that, oh, there are people who are handcrafting guitars. There are people who are still designing guitars. Guitar design didn't stop in the 1960s. It's continued to evolve. But sometimes, you know, with the law of diffusion of innovation, sometimes it takes time before you get any sort of level of mass acceptance. Mm. You know, and actually many of the most popular guitars in the world today were at one point in time considered to be guitar failures. Mm. Wow. And I'm asking that because I'm thinking of you always hear songwriters will refer to their songs as their babies. Yeah. And so when someone comes to you and they say, Jamie, look at what I've done, that's their baby. They've yes. poured their blood, sweat, and tears into it, and they think it's fantastic. But I think you might have just touched upon one of the key elements there, which is I'm sure your guitar is fantastic, and congratulations, it looks great. But if it's just you carrying it around at NAM and there's not this mass acceptance, I don't know that the boutique guitar showcase is where you need to be with it right now. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a relative comparison. Um, I'm very aware that people have poured their heart and soul into the creating of their instruments. But, you know, you don't have to be completely unique in the world. There's, there's plenty of space for people to be playing songs in bars. I like going to a bar and listening to music. You know, it doesn't have to be an original song. You know, you can make a living playing music without, you know, becoming a sensation or a pop star. And so... The same thing happens with guitars. You can make a living being a guitar maker, making relatively unremarkable, but well-made and well-performing guitars. If you want to become a pop star in the guitar sense, then you need to figure out how you're going to separate yourself from the competition. Mm -hmm. And I work with guitar making schools around the world. And And when I go and speak with those people, we talk about design. I say, you know, just like a singer songwriter, you know, the key to this to me is that all people are unique. And so if you, folk, if you take the time to be introspective, be honest with what you find about yourself, have the courage to share what you find, have the courage to create something with it and then share it with the world, you will, you will likely share something unique and valuable. Yeah. doesn't mean that someone else is necessarily going to want it. You have to listen to what the needs are of the market your need to create art doesn't necessarily line up with someone else's need to buy art. That's right, because it's not unlike we all have different tastes in music, different genres, and different strokes for different folks. Someone might look at the guitar that someone has created and say, I love that, and all of a sudden they go to the next person, and the next person says, eh, it's just not really anything that, that moves me. Right. Okay, it's no different than if we go to the art gallery and I look at the same painting as you and you're just awestruck by it and I say, eh, and I walk on to the next one. You say, where are you going, Bruce? Look at this thing. Right. Eh. Yeah, and in, and in songwriting, you know, Garth Brooks was a huge Kiss fan. 
but he made his money playing country. <laughs> I don't think I knew that, by the way. Big Kiss fan. Let's talk about some really fascinating units. First is the world's first guitar made from hemp wood. Yes. Tell us about that one for starters. Yeah, so that's Ruben Forsland from uh, British Columbia, Canada. Uh, and he's made a guitar from sort of reconstituted hemp. There's a company here in the U.S. who's turning hemp fiber into a wood-like product. And Ruben decided that he would try and make a guitar from it, and, and he did it. And it's a, it's a wonderful instrument. It's on display here. Is it light in weight? How would somebody with the naked eye look at that guitar, mm -hmm. and would they know that it was made from hemp wood? Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, they would know it's made from something unusual because it doesn't look like other woods do. Um, it's, it's not uh, un-guitar heavy, but it's on the heavier side of an acoustic guitar. Okay? Um, and and it's, it's an interesting conversation, the first step along the way. You know, sustainability is a big conversation mm. right now. You know, and in the guitar market, we've tended to move from one endangered wood species to the next endangered wood species. Mm. And really, can we keep doing that or should we keep doing that? Uh, and so I think that Ruben is concerned with the idea of sustainability and that perhaps a sustainable crop like hemp might be a solution in the, in the guitar industry. Wow, wow, fascinating. Next is a guitar that I'd love to hear about from a female French luthier that depicts artistry inspired from growing up in Normandy, France. Yes. So you're referring to uh, Rochelle Rosencrantz from Atelier Rosencrantz. Uh, she is born and raised in France, but actually came to the Rhode Island School of Design in America, um, I think 20 years ago. And so she actually now teaches at RISD, Rhode Island School of Design, interstitial space. Um, and she has a real fascination with uh, organic materials. She has been experimenting with mycelium fibers, which are like mushrooms. So she's growing acoustic sort of mm. uh, bricks, if you will, and carving guitars out of them. Amazing. She is making banjo heads from kombucha leather. She's growing leather wow. herself. Wow. Uh, and she is doing, she's working with bees for bracing of, of guitars. She's doing all sorts of mm. incredible, fascinating things. And on this tour, we have a guitar from hers where she did some uh, unusual sort of... Uh, French uh, furniture techniques, and she used uh, eggshells from the omelets she made during the pandemic. Wow. She saved all of her eggshells, wow. and then they became a part of a, a fascinating, sort of beautiful guitar and gold leaves. It really has to be seen to be believed, mm. and you can see it here at the Summer Nam Show. The last one, before we move on, is a guitar with a limited run, made of wood found on Leonardo da Vinci's farm in Florence. Yeah, so the da Vinci family have have had a vineyard since before Leonardo. So actually, Leonardo was just a great mind of his time. We think of him as the painter of the Mona Lisa, and we think of him as a great inventor. But, you know, Leonardo was brought in to figure out things like how to move water up a hill for olive trees and, mm. and in vineyards, and he did. Uh, and so his, his family continues uh, to be in the wine business, and the Paoletti guitars out of Italy makes guitars from reclaimed Chianti barrels that are between 130 to 150 years old, chestnut Chianti barrels. And they contacted the uh, Da Vinci family, and they had some wine barrels which actually were much, much older, were about 350 years, very close to Leonardo's time. Uh, and they were able to acquire enough of these to make a very limited run of guitars. And so we have one of these 
sort of 350-year-plus Chianti barrel reclaimed from the Da Vinci family. It comes with a certificate of, uh, of authenticity from the, the governor of Florence, Firenze, the, uh, oh. the area where Vinci is. Uh, it's an interesting piece. Uh, gold-leafed as well, gold-painting on it. Tell the audience how big my eyes got yeah, <laughs> when you that, said 350 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They're pretty big. When you're oh here in the New World, that sounds gosh. like a long time. I visited some friends, another guitar maker in Italy uh, two years ago, and he was replacing his roof. And I said, when the last time this roof was replaced? He says, oh, maybe 300 years ago, because their family home is 1,000 years old. Wow. Wow. I noticed a commonality in the three units that we just talked about where the person that you're talking about who developed each one I'm thinking kind of along the lines of science. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that people necessarily equate science with guitar making. And mm. yet it seems like these are obviously three very unique models that we're talking about. Yes. But I sort of sense a scientific approach that each of those people took to these guitars that we just talked about. Yeah. Well, I mean, science is simply the observation of what is, right? And so guitar makers are often observing the effects of what they have and what they do. Uh, and so... Uh, you can certainly say it's a, a scientific approach, some more so than others. Some are more philosophers in what they're doing. Some are more scientific about it. Um, but it's very common that we have people working on sort of theories, which you can observe in a scientific manner within the Boutique Star Showcase. That's true. Yeah, when you're talking about something like hemp, when you're talking about eggshells, I'm thinking these are people who are coming at it from a very different perspective than a traditional guitar maker who is probably going to see mass production before they see one specific unit and things like sustainability and nature mm-hmm. as opposed to an assembly line. Yeah, you know, um, that, that's that's a astute observation. The American guitar was developed in the factory. It wasn't developed in the workshops. You know, it wasn't developed by artisans. It was developed mm. by industrialists like Leo Fender, you know, by uh, the Gibson Corporation, which was always being a company, you know, Orville Gibson was hired to, you know, work on his designs um, for a company. It was never really about Orville Gibson, you know, slaving away in his workshop creating certain uh-huh. guitars. And the Gibson Corporation doesn't even make any of his designs at this point in time. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, and I don't mean that to criticize it in any way. I'm just saying the history of guitar, yeah. uh, the American guitar, has been a, a factory model. And it's actually... That's what inspired many people who now see the guitar as a special thing. It's an, it's an icon within contemporary culture to, to delve deeper into it. But that's new. That's not old. These handcrafted guitars with extra deep sort of meanings and philosophies and such is, is a newer thing. Well, and I was going to say, that's why on this episode of the show, we're talking about boutique guitars and we're not talking about what Gibson does and what Fender does, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It's what helps make them stand out. So... When I'm done with you, I'm going to be able to come in there and see the three very models that we all talked about at, at the yes. showcase. Terrific, terrific. So a question that I ask a lot of artists who come on the show is they'll talk about some great accomplishment of theirs, and I'll say, for the aspiring performer out there who's listening to this show to learn from me and my guests, I will say to them, how did you get that opportunity? So these three that we've just talked about, mm-hmm. how do they find Jamie and say, Hey, I got to tell you, and forgive my ignorance, maybe it's, you know, gee, Bruce, how do I say everybody knows me? But no, no. For people that are from various locales, how do they get connected with you or vice versa to learn about each other and what they're doing for for you to be able to include them in the showcase? Right. I mean, I travel a lot. 
I met uh, Ruben from Joy Guitars in Vancouver when I was traveling to a guitar show so I could see new guitar makers. I have to be out there, you know, on the front lines, if you will. Uh, whereas I, I met Rochelle Rosencrantz uh, because we were both invited to be panelists uh, for the Harvard School of Design um, to talk about guitar design and, and, the, and the future. And so we're both experts in the field. We had never met before. We were on a panel together and then we got to know each other through there. So it can vary a great deal as to how we meet. Sometimes I find them, sometimes they find me. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. What about you in terms of, I don't, I don't even want to ask how many guitars you have, but what one or two guitars do you play the most? Which one do you maybe pick up the most regularly? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm not a guitar collector. No. No. Wow. I have wow. a few instruments. Um, I really have kind of one of each. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. Um, and I have, I don't mind telling you, I have a, I have a Ritter bass by a, a special bass maker in Germany. I have a, a Nick Huber electric guitar. I have a Donovan Lee acoustic guitar. And I have an Ellis Drum Shop you know, four-piece kit with a wow. Ray Ayotte snare and UFIP cymbals. Those are all artisanal pieces. I have a ukulele. I have an upright bass. You know, I, I enjoy making music. I never saw myself as a guitar player or as a drummer, but rather a musician. Well, and in preparing for this interview today, I started to make a note for myself about that question that I just asked you. And this picture came into my head, almost a photograph, if you will, of you sitting in a room where there's say, you know, 21 guitars surrounding you. And I thought, don't ask him how many he has because he's probably going to say, I don't even know at this point. So that's why I kind of glossed over it. I'm even more surprised to hear you say that it's very much the opposite. My wife jokes because I'm a, philosophically, I'm a minimalist who loves authentic things. I'm not a collector. So she jokes that one day you'll find Jamie as an old man sitting in a cave with no possessions, wearing a great pair of shoes, <laughs> eating a wonderful piece of cheese. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> I'm joined today on location at the Summer NAM Show in Nashville by artist, retailer, gallerist, curator, distributor, manufacturer, consultant, and public speaker, Jamie Gale. Visit his official website at jamiegalemusic.com. I will have a link to it from the show page for this episode at nhte.net. He is on social media. Look for links on his website to connect with Jamie on Facebook and Instagram. Get in touch with him to book him as a speaker or for one of the many other services that he provides. There is a brand new website that I have launched called interviewtipscourse.com. If you are a musician, singer, songwriter, recording artist, etc., or even if you're, say, an author, small business owner, actor, comedian, some line of work where you are getting interviewed on TV shows, radio shows, podcasts, etc., or think you should be getting interviewed, getting booked for one or more interviews is only half the work. In this course that I've launched, I'm giving you close to 30 tips to maximize the opportunity so you get results from being interviewed, whether that means more sales, more bookings, whatever the outcome is that you're hoping for. And I've even included a module that has more than 15 different sources that can be used to get leads to potentially get more guest bookings. It's all online, so you go at your own pace with the videos as well as corresponding handouts in convenient downloadable PDF documents. Go to interviewtipscourse.com to get started so that you can start benefiting more from being a guest on the shows you get booked on.
Jamie, I have been blessed to get listeners of this show from 155 countries around the world. So there are going to be people just getting introduced to you for the first time, and they're going to say, wait, why isn't Bruce talking about music videos of Jamie's or albums that we can buy of Jamie's music? Right. Because I pride myself in the research that I do for this show every week, I hope you're not going to say, well, you just didn't look hard enough. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm a musician. And I was a touring musician when I was younger. And I did write a lot of songs when I was younger. Okay. Okay. Um, but, you know, honestly, I, uh, I'm still an artist. I'm still an artist in what I do today and the conversations that I have. Uh, but my art has never been limited to just music. And it hasn't been limited to a specific instrument um, I've toured the world. I've toured through Europe. I've toured through North America uh, on drums, on bass, on guitar, on singing. You know, I oh. love making music. Um, but it's not currently my focus. I thought when you were saying I've toured through and you gave the list, I thought you were going to say doing what my art is now. But you're saying, no, I actually played drums around the world and played bass and played... Yeah. Wow. As, wow. as, a, as a performing musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we see people doing all kinds of things with guitars. Back on episode 287 of the show, Justin Johnson talked about shovel guitars that mm -hmm. he was making and selling, meaning shovels like you use to turn dirt. I'm familiar with A that, little yeah. more recently, on episode 352, R.T. Valine referred to, quote, a bass built from a wash tub yeah. and oil can guitars, end quote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is, is it a good thing for players to explore like that, the really non-traditional units that I'm referring to, or are you a big proponent of letting the established guitar manufacturers stick to doing what they do and the players should just play and they should not invent? Oh, I don't think that we should be limiting creativity at all. You know, there was a movie released a few years ago called This Might Get Loud with Jack White, Jimmy Page, and The Edge. You too. And um, my favorite part of that film was Jack White took like a board and a screw and a string and stuck a, a pickup under it and it pulled out a slide and he played on this two by four basically. Wow. And he made cool music with it. You know, I'm not a proponent for really expensive guitars or fancy guitars. I'm prone for creativity. And that's however you do it. And that things should be authentic and that, th and that people should be rewarded for what they do. Now, if you're a guitar maker living in Switzerland, with a family of four and you make six guitars a year that are really unique and really creative that guitar can't be anything less than forty thousand dollars yeah because you can't sustain a family on six guitars a year that are starting from scratch every time he's not he's not cranking them out it's a totally new creature and so i think the person should be paid appropriately and forty thousand is probably then undervalued for that particular guitar mm. maker um and i feel the same way with with musicians or anybody who's doing any level of work is that, you know, the juice needs to be worth the squeeze and the people need to be taken care of. I like it. I like it. There is someone who has been on this show twice that is very well known around Nam and just in her own right because of the career that she has had. I'm going to be surprised if you don't know her, but she stands out because of what she plays. I'm talking about Muriel Anderson mm -hmm. and wondering what experience you have had or haven't had with the harp guitar. Oh, sure. Uh, we had a harp guitar at the last uh, NAMM Boutique Guitar Showcase, the last winter show by Michael Greenfield. Uh, I know that Muriel comes into the Boutique Guitar Showcase. As a matter of fact, um, maybe two shows ago, she bought a guitar from Steve Klein, which is the guy who had his 50th anniversary at the Boutique Guitar Showcase. Uh, she bought one of Steve's unusual designs uh, there. And so um, I know a number of guitar makers who make harp guitars, and... Uh, 
Yes, I don't know Muriel personally. We have many friends in common, though. Have you ever played a harp guitar yourself? Yes. Wow, wow. We're in the home stretch, yet we never actually really did any background setting with you. I don't know that I necessarily want to do the whole, when did you start playing the guitar thing? But yeah. when did you start really into these different pursuits that you're involved with today? In other words, when did you go from being, you know, yeah, I played guitar growing up to a preeminent authority on the guitar to borrow from a quote that I referenced back in the intro? Yeah. Um... <laughs> You know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book 20-some-odd 20, 20 years ago called The Tipping Point, a very famous book. Uh, and in this, he talks about mavens, connectors, and salespeople. And I realized reading that book that I'm a connector. And that connectors are people who like to bring people together, show them new products, you know, see, have you tried this new food I think you're really going to love? You know, they're always making connections between people. And I have been that person my whole life. I remember being, you know, a young a young child and having the cassette deck on in my grade three classroom showing the other kid the new Twisted Sister album that I was really <laughs> into, you know? And so I've always been a connector that way. Um, and I was, yeah, always turning people on to other things. I, I really enjoy showing people things. And so that, that part's been there a long time. But when I became an expert at this point in time that's recognized by other experts, let's say, you know, I'd say it's been within the last 10 years, probably. But and do you feel there was some something that along the way you said, as much as I am a multi-instrumentalist and I can play different things, it's not really who I am. It's not a pursuit that I want to really live out full time. I want to go more the direction that you're in now. Or is it it just kind of evolved over time? Oh, honestly, that, that happened when I had a family, and I didn't have to give it up. Matter of fact, I got married, and I was supposed to be on tour 10 days after my honeymoon, and I said, you know, I was a hired player, so they can get someone else. My wife said, no way, I'm marrying a musician. You're going on tour. And so wow. I left for seven or eight weeks on the road throughout the U.S., um, 10 days after my honeymoon. And, you know, uh, but eventually I had kids, and I love my kids. I love my wife. And, there's, and it came to a point where, frankly, I just... I was more interested in spending time with my wife and my kids than I was playing music in that way. And so I don't see it as anything I gave up. I don't see it as something I won't continue to do. I still play music. Will there be more music in my future? Probably. You know, what will, what will it be? I don't know. But you're based in Toronto, right? Uh, loosely. I'm about okay. four hours from Toronto on a lake in a cottage. But uh, Well, but the point being that you're probably still, pandemic aside, pre-pandemic, probably yeah. still spending a lot of time on the road, but the point being that nowhere near as much as you would if you were a hired gun and going out on different tours. Yeah. You're, more, you're able to be more selective about when you're going out and what you're going out for. Sure. And, you know, my wife and I make guitars together. Ah. We don't make a lot of them, but, but my acoustic guitar is a guitar that my wife and I made together. Uh, and my kids grew up in the music business, and my kids... Our, our art department and our tech department, and they travel the world with us showing guitars. Wow. They're at the NAMM show also. Wow. And so, uh, you know, as opposed to leaving my family all the time, I found out that I was just going to figure out how to bring my family with me. And that's what I've done. Fantastic. You've obviously had a long and successful career. Is it possible to pick something that you might consider your proudest moment professionally? Uh, I, I love variety, and so that's a really hard thing for me. But I, I will say that 
my my work with Nam and the Boutique Guitar Showcase, I think, has been really, really important because I see that it's making positive effects for musicians, for retailers, for the Nam show, for press. I feel like we're making a positive difference in the world with the Boutique Guitar Showcase and growing this market. And I, I know many guitar makers who are now in a better position. You know, this may sound ridiculous. The last Boutique Guitar Showcase at Nam, someone sold a guitar and they came to me and said, that's it. I just sold the guitar that put me out of debt. For the first time in my life, I'm officially out of debt. And then they sold another couple of guitars. And so, wow. and they said, it's because of the work that you've done and how you've established the market with us that I am now debt free. And mm. that may sound strange, but that to me is gold. You know, knowing Absolutely. that we're making a legitimate difference in people's lives. Yeah, yeah, very much really so. Important. Very much so. So then explain to the audience about the tour, which is 15 cities, eight countries, because unfortunately, people who are used to listening to this show hear tour and they think of an artist going out on oh, tour, sure. but this was the boutique guitar showcase that you've curated. Yeah. And I'm asking this because if I'm understanding it correctly, I think you did this in the midst of the pandemic. We did actually. Yeah. Uh, what happened is we partner with top retailers in the world. So we work with you know, uh, Chicago Music Exchange, you know, the, the Guitar Sanctuary, Walpreys Vintage. We work with the Fellowship of Acoustics in, uh, you know, in the Netherlands and, and many, many top, top retailers. Uh, and so they host events with us. And what happened during the pandemic is they, uh, their doors were closed, but they were allowed to have a certain amount of people and they did private appointments. And so we had a very successful okay. event at Chicago Music Exchange and the Guitar Sanctuary and these places because... Um, you know, these are these are rare and interesting guitars, and people were looking for reality. They were looking for authenticity during this time. I think we all kind of question what we're doing and what's important to us, what's valuable to us, and the idea that people sort of pour themselves into these creations. I think is one of the key reasons people buy a boutique guitar is because they feel like they're contributing to a life worth living mm. for the other person and for themselves. Final question: What does the rest of 2021 look like for you? Yeah, so this is our first event of the year. Um, in August, uh, I think August 19th, we start our U.S. tour in Atlanta at Righteous Guitars, Roswell. We head down to, uh, well, there's 10 stops. I probably shouldn't name them all. Um, but the point is, we'll, or should I? I don't know. If you, you, know. If you know them or Sure. So we'll be in Atlanta. We'll be in Miami. We'll be in San Antonio, Dallas, Memphis. We'll return to Nashville then go up to Big Rapids, Michigan, Chicago, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and New York City to finish off the USA Tour before we head over to Europe, where we'll be in Amsterdam, Pours, Belgium, Paris, France, Malmö, Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden, Hallstatt, Austria, and Lecco, Italy, and a German stop to be determined. And that will take you up until, it sounds like, probably into the new year? I'm no, thinking. no, we'll, 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 we'll do all of that before the end of uh, October. Wow, wow, yeah. tremendous, tremendous. Jamie, so great to meet you. Thank you so much for making time to be on Now Here This Entertainment. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Here This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to artist, retailer, gallerist, curator, distributor, manufacturer, consultant, and public speaker Jamie Gale do visit his official website at jamiegalemusic.com 
Again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. And then engage with him on social media, meaning follow him on Facebook and on Instagram. For that matter, tell Jamie that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. There are links to his Facebook and his Instagram at the bottom of jamiegalemusic.com. Get in touch with Jamie to book him as a speaker or for one of the many other services that he provides. Don't forget about the new website that I've just launched at interviewtipscourse.com. Get on there to start into learning how to not only find more interview opportunities, but more importantly, how to maximize those so that you get a better return on the time you invest getting booked for and then actually being a guest on radio, TV, podcasts, and other interviews. There are close to 30 tips that I've presented in the course, along with corresponding documents you can download for handy reference, plus the module with more than 15 different sources to get leads to potentially get more interviews. Again, that's interviewtipscourse.com. Get started now. That will do it for episode 391. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment.